Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. No! Oh my God! How could he do that? Are you on? Don't What? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today, we've got an NBA draft to react to. How about that? Just a couple days ago, Logan, we were previewing it and now we're reacting to it because that's how sports work. You preview something and then it happens and then you react to it. So that's what we're going to do today. A reaction to the NBA draft, which happened yesterday. That was Thursday. Today is Friday. You may be listening to this on Saturday or Sunday. Maybe even next Monday. It was an interesting start to the night, Logan, because the reporting had been for quite some time that the Orlando Magic were going to take Jabari Smith at number one overall, and they seemed pretty set on it. Neither you or I thought that Jabari was even a top two prospect in this draft, so that seemed to be an interesting thought process at the time. They end up going with Paolo Boncaro, though, out of Duke, who I certainly think more highly of as a prospect, but... What did you think of that, Logan, and what do you think of Paolo and how he can potentially help out Orlando? Oh, I like it big time, and I kind of wondered this. I didn't say it on the pre-draft pod, but anytime you look at the NFL draft, the history of the NBA draft, man, anytime there is a consensus, you know what I mean, like, oh, uh, they're locked into Jabari, I always feel like there's potential for the old the old bait and switch, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, the old... Uh, <laughs> Just, just to shake things up, I love the pick for Orlando, man. Um, you know, we talked, we, we talked about maybe Paolo teaming up with Jalen Green. I think I like this a little more, just because I feel like, you know what I mean? There's a Jalen Green is gonna is is the guy for Houston moving forward. Where I think that, you know, if he went there, not not necessarily saying Paolo is gonna be a number two off the bat to him. Paolo is the guy here, and you know what I mean? I love Cole Anthony. I love Jalen Suggs. You're running offense through Paolo day one, man. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I think I undersold his scoring ability, man, because during the draft, I went back and just watched more Paolo. I think he is a more—I I think there's a, 
argument to be made that he's the best pure bucket getter in the draft, honestly. Like, um, I love it for Orlando, man. I think he's the guy moving forward. And I've I watched more Orlando Magic basketball than anybody on the planet last yeah. season. Um, so I'm really excited for it, man. I mean, they've got a formidable starting five. Uh, they're going with Wendell Carter Jr. at the five moving forward. It'll be interesting to see if they... Uh, if they bring Mo Bamba back, uh, depending on how much money he asks for. But I think it's a really solid young group, man. Um, I'm a big Cole Anthony guy. I'm a big Jalen Suggs guy. But Paolo steps in and immediately is the guy here. And he can do it in so many different ways, man. Playmaking on the low block, um, bringing the ball up as a genuine ball handler, the uh, difficult shot making. He's a great pull-up jump shooter. He's a pretty good shooter from the perimeter. He's big. He's physical. Um, and I don't know, man, like... We talked about the player comp for Paolo uh, in the pre-draft process. You know, s- slightly more efficient Julius Randle was one that we came up with. Um, I saw Jason Timp said he thinks Paolo's closer to Carmelo. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with his playmaking and his athleticism and physicality, I think Paolo's honestly got a little bit of Blake Griffin in him mm-hmm. um, with the short roll passing, uh, with the athleticism. Paolo is a damn good prospect, dude, and... I'm just excited just because I think that even more so than Oklahoma City because they have a ball handler in Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Josh Giddey. Yeah. Um, because Houston has a guy like Jalen Green, there's no you know, there's no contingency over who the star is here. Cole Anthony is a great player. I think Cole Anthony is a future all-star. Paolo steps in day one and is the best player on Orlando and is the go-to guy uh, on offense. And I mean, look, man. Orlando didn't have Jonathan Isaac last season either. They struggled with a lot of injuries up and down the lineup. I think that, call me crazy if you want, man, I think Orlando wins a minimum of, if they're healthy, wins a minimum of 30 games next season, man. I think that, I think Paolo's that big of a game changer for this team. And uh, this is my favorite landing spot for him, man. I think, I don't know how I suffered through watching so many Orlando Magic basketball games last season, Carson. They're going to be a lot more fun to watch this year. And I... I think he's a winning player off the bat. I think this is the right decision by Orlando with the construct of their roster. I think they took the second best player on the board, and I think it may be a better fit for them stylistically uh, because of what their team needs. They need more scoring. They need more playmaking. They need more offense. And, like, you know, I just don't think a guy like... I think Chet's the best prospect here, but when you have the big situation like you do here in Orlando, Mm -hmm. I think this is the right pick um, just because of how versatile Paolo is. So... I love it for Orlando. I think this is a home run pick. I don't think you could have gone wrong with any of them, but uh, with the construct of their roster and what they needed positionally, I think they took the right guy. Yeah, I don't know if I would have said that you couldn't go wrong with any of them. I think Jabari Smith is going to be a very good NBA player, but I do think that Paolo and Chet are in a slightly different class as a prospect just because I think that when you're comparing... Jabari and Paolo, who positionally are certainly more similar than either of those guys are to Chet, in that, you know, they're kind of the wing big hybrids that we're starting to see more and more of in today's NBA. Paolo just has such a more clear path to genuine offensive stardom, in my opinion. Jabari has the great defensive foundation. He's got all the tools there. He's got the motor. He is an insane pure shooter of the basketball, but he's limited putting the ball on the floor. He's not an overly explosive athlete. He's not a plus playmaker in any way whereas Paolo it's like this is what we talked about way back when when I thought you were too cynical and you were saying things like you didn't think that he could be a top guy on a title winning team and I was like how can you say that about a guy who was a freshman in college and at six foot ten has just an insane blend of athleticism and skill as a scorer and a facilitator has all the tools 
It's just a matter of refining and continuing to develop. But every foundational piece is there. Like, yeah, his handle's got to get a little better. His decision-making shot selection's got to get a little bit better. His pure shooting could stand to get a little bit better. But he's a 6'10", 250, insanely powerful athlete who's a confident pull-up jump shooter, who has the short-range game, the variety of shots that he would need to score consistently in the paint. He's a versatile weapon offensively. He's got improved defensively, but he has the tools there. And so I just think this is a great pick. I think this is a great pick because as great as Chet is, and I do think he's the best prospect in this class, and I would probably just go best player available mode no matter what, there's certainly an argument for a team like Orlando that you just want to take the power wing who can be the centerpiece of an offense because a their bigs are already solid you know you're not gonna pass up typically on people for Wendell Carter Jr. and Mo Bamba but compared to their situation in terms of legitimate offensive creation from the wings I think one need is more dire than the other so 100% Powell is the kind of guy who you look at and you think yeah he'll swing playoff series he'll change the outlook of our team and He's got to get more efficient. He's got to get more refined. But, like, what are you going to do? I mean, the guy's a freshman in college. And, I mean, it's really tough for me seeing him failing to reach star status. Like, maybe he's an imperfect star. But how does Paolo not score 20 a game? And how does he not have at least a moderate impact as a playmaker? Like, I just think that is guaranteed. And I think he can be better than that because this is a special class. I mean, it's not quite as good as last year's. But prospects are just becoming freakier and freakier every year. And I mean that in a purely basketball sense, Logan. I'd like to be clear about that. <laughs> because the skill is just ever-evolving. And to have three dudes who are 6'10 plus and legitimately skilled go at the top of the draft, I think, is a testament to that. But, again, it's like nothing is really set in stone in Orlando. So it's not like a really a matter of looking at, oh, how does he fit alongside other pieces? Because he should be the top priority. But I do think he would fit here because he's super versatile, right? I mean, he can be your wing. He can be your lead scorer. He can facilitate in stretches. He can do point forward stuff. He can roll to the bucket. He can stand on the block. He can attack mismatches down low. So, yeah, I mean, Cole Anthony's a guy who likes to run a lot of pick and roll. You know, he plays like a true lead ball handling mm -hmm. kind of guard. And he earned that kind of, you know, reputation down the stretch last year because he was just very clearly... Uh, their best offensive player. He still has a long way to go in terms of being an efficient volume scorer of the basketball. And so I don't think you want to let him dominate your offense and limit Paolo in any way. But I do think they can be complimentary because I think Paolo can do a bit of everything offensively. So I'm excited for Orlando. This feels like the best talent that they've gotten since Dwight Howard. No, oh, big time. I mean... I don't think anybody even compares. Yeah, man. maybe I don't either. Well, Mario Hazonia. I was gonna. Maybe. Say, I was gonna say Vucevic, but I mean they traded for him in the Dwight Howard move um, with the you know the three team deal with the Lakers, Sixers. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a home run, man. Um, do you? Uh, this is a tangent, really quick. I mean, do you think they should bring back Mo Bamba? <laughs> no, I mean I just think that Orlando yes. has a really similar lineup, honestly. To uh, what Paolo was doing at Duke, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, what did they have four or five guys go in the in the first round? Like all their starting five, did everybody get drafted? Mm, let's think for a moment. I think they had, I think they had at least four. I know AJ went, Mark Williams went, Paolo went, and then I believe um, there's one more guy that went. But anyway, 
yeah, like you said, man, a lot of pick and roll run by the Wendell guards Moore. at Duke. You've yeah, Wendell Moore too. Um, Mark Williams at the five. Like I don't know, man. I think that it's really similar to uh, to what he had at Duke. And then if they bring a guy back like Mobamba, I don't know, man. I'm just thinking about. Paolo out of the short roll throwing lobs to Mo or something like that. I, I mean, they were a ridiculous know, amount of size, dude, no matter what. Yeah. Because a front court of Isaac, Paolo, and center is uh, big. That's a big-ass front court. And it's terrifying defensively. Yeah, if Paolo really locks in, which we'll see. You know, you might not be well, I just think I just a think... rookie in Orlando, but long-term I think he should be a, a solid-to-good defender. Yeah, and I just mean he's going to be physical off the bat, and he's got length and size, and you can't pass that up, man. If you're running Wendell at the five, Mo at the five, yeah, you're right. That's a big-ass lineup, and it can also make up for the deficiencies that uh, you have with Cole Anthony and Suggs off-rip. I don't know, man. As an Orlando Magic stan, I'm I'm so excited for this. Maybe I should give up on the Kings and just become a yes, Magic fan. do it. We'll get to the Kings in a moment, but Paolo's unique, man. He is... Kind of a mismatch for a whole lot of different people. I mean, it's just a really distinct level of physicality that he's capable of. He can bully people from the wings. I mean, 6'10", 250, and athletic and skilled is scary and feel as a playmaker. I really don't think you can criticize this pick, even if I did like Chet a little bit more as a prospect. So, Chet does go to OKC at the number two spot, and... As much as other things changed throughout the day, and there were some shocks, obviously, at the top of the draft, this was not one of them. Although, Shams did briefly tweet that the Thunder had taken Jabari Smith second overall. I don't know if you saw that. So, that's a uh -huh. massive Shams L. But we talked a little about this on our preview pod, but what do you think about Chet landing in OKC? Oh, I love it. I love it immediately. Um uh, Oklahoma City desperately needed uh, perimeter shooting all season long. It, it was kind of their biggest need. They were just a shitty shooting team. And so to get a guy who can space the floor at the five spot like this is massive. And I just think that versatility um, with what Chet brings offensively is is beautiful. It's going to be beautiful, I think, alongside Giddy and Shea. And, you know, I don't know if Chet's ever a guy that – I don't mean this. I don't know if Chet's a 20-point-per-game scorer in this league. Um uh, just because, you know, he doesn't, I don't really see that takeover ability with him, but I mm -hmm. see him being an efficient scorer regardless. He's a good shooter. He doesn't take bad shots. He takes shots under the rim and from deep. And I mean, thinking about a guy like that in the pick and roll in the modern NBA with this kind of size and this kind of shooting touch is deadly, especially alongside two great ball handlers like Shea Gilgis Alexander and Josh Giddy, which is another reason why I think this works. Again, uh, a lot of times when you're taking guys at the top of the draft, you need to take over, take over scores, and I don't think Oklahoma City needs that. You need a guy who is going to be really efficient and who is going to be great defensively and make smart plays, and that's what Chet does. And uh, so I like this immediately with what he brings offensively to the table. He's not going to have to pull a whole lot of weight there, but again, be efficient, take good shots, make good plays, and then defensively, you are getting a guy with star upside. I mean, uh, Carson, you called Chet uh, potentially the greatest prospect you had ever evaluated, um, you know, up there with the Evan Mobleys of the world, and I I'm in agreement. I think obviously off-rip, uh, I think like what the Cavaliers did with Mobley, I don't think you can run Chet at the five immediately. I mean, I just think about... <laughs> 
I think about Chet getting switched on to like uh, Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid and them just shitting on him. Um, so no, Chet is not a guy that you can play at the five immediately. He needs to bulk up. He needs to get more size. But long term, you're looking at a guy who can potentially anchor your defense and be a damn good, efficient offensive player. So I love it. I thought he's the best uh, young player here. And if we're looking deeper down this, um, obviously we want to stay focused on Chet. I thought Oklahoma City absolutely killed this draft for the future of their team. I mean, Presty loves taking uh, shots on uh, guys with long-term upside who are kind of unicorns. And thinking about a lineup with Usman, uh, Usman Dang, Alexis Pokusevsky, and Chet Holmgren um, just uh, kind of makes my eyes pop out of my head. That's going to be a really fun lineup to watch. But I thought the Dang pick was sweet. I think getting Holmgren, these are guys with a lot of upside. Um, I think Chet's going to be great off bat. I don't think Chet's going to win Rookie of the Year because, again, with two scores like this, I think that he'll probably average somewhere between 13 to 17 points off the bat. I think Paolo and Jabari are probably going to outscore him, which is going to be weighed more heavily in Rookie of the Year voting. But... Long term, all of these assets, all of these great young players with a lot of upside, you have a star here in SGA, it's looking up for Oklahoma City, man. I I, I don't know. I, I, think, I think this was the perfect landing spot uh, for Chet. I agree on the Rookie of the Year point. I think Paolo's going to win Rookie of the Year. And it's an interesting negotiation between volume versus efficiency and potential winning impact. We saw that this year, right, where Scotty Barnes and Evan Mobley ended up being the front runners for most of the year because they were ready immediately. They were two-way guys. They were on good teams. They were scoring at solid efficiency. They were versatile. And Jalen Green and Cade weren't really in that conversation. But then post-All-Star break, those are the guys scoring 20-plus on actually pretty solid efficiency because they're volume guards. They were in kind of dumpster fire situations, but they had more volume and then they grew into their game this year. You know, if you're making those immediate impact arguments, then maybe you would think that is going to favor check because he will be efficient and impactful two ways immediately. Jabari will have the immediate shooting and defense impact, but I just think Paolo's going to have kind of the keys and I think he's good enough to where, yeah, he can put up that 18 to 20 a game on a night-to-night basis, and I think that that would probably be enough for him. But regardless, this is an absolute home run. Chet is a freak. He's a two-way centerpiece. He is a future defensive player of the year caliber guy, incredibly distinct in his ability to be a generational deterrent inside the paint and rim protector and also a guy with legitimate switchability. His length is insane. His feet, his instincts are incredible. He's a defensive weapon. Cannot overstate that. And like you said, uber-efficient and versatile offensively. And at the end of the day, they just got the best player on the board. And again, OKC is not really in a position where you're like... There's not a lot that is fully set in stone there either. But you do have a bit more because obviously you have SGA. And then I do think that they really like Giddy as that other playmaker. So you're right. You don't need more playmaking from the perimeter, certainly. And so you get a guy who can play off of them, who can be lethal out of the pick and roll, who can make good decisions and put the ball on the floor and facilitate in spots and anchor your defense. I just think that it's a home run. There's really no other way to look at it. I think Chet's a future all-NBA guy. It is interesting because when I did our draft preview with Jason Timpf over at the volume, my guy, he was talking about how he thinks Chet is the safer number one overall pick compared to Paolo. And I think that's probably true, actually, because maybe there is a higher ceiling for Paolo 
just in terms of the game is dictated from the wings often. Offensively, certainly. Defensively, of course, your rim protector is your most important guy, although we have seen that if you're not a moderately switchable rim protector, you may find yourself in some sticky situations come playoff time. But Chet won't be able to score 25 a game, completely command an offense, you know, have the physical imposition on that end, the playmaking of a Paolo Boncaro. But at the same time, I'm just confident in Chet being so good at what he does. I'm immensely confident. I do not think he can fail. People key in on the weight. People key in on how that can maybe affect his health. It's just so rare to see guys get legitimately abused out of the post often in today's game. Like, there just aren't many great post scorers, period. Uh, if you have at least the size of a 7-foot guy with a 7-6 wingspan. And Chet has phenomenal instincts and positioning. And he's an insane shot blocker. His length can affect everything. And he didn't get bullied in the post very much at all in college. He was a pretty stout post defender if you look at the numbers. And again, he just has the traits to survive against pretty much anybody other than Jokic or Embiid. And guess what? Nobody survives against Jokic and Embiid. So I'm extremely confident. And I think OKC hit a home run at number two. Number three, we do have Jabari going to the Rockets. Again, a bit of an unexpected switch up there. But Logan, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, this could be a really terrifying scoring uh, duo of the future. Uh, I was extensive in my Jabari Smith Jr. Uh, criticism, you know, throughout the pre-draft process. You know, I talked about, uh, even in the pre-draft uh, show that we did, I mean, I talked about, you know, he settles for jump shots a little too much, doesn't get fully downhill. Those are little things that he can clean up. Again, I, I think I can get a little too much, I can get a little too critical with some of these things. Again, this is a very young prospect. It takes time for these guys to develop, but very rare do you get a prospect, again, this size, that can shoot the hell out of the ball. Now, one guy that I did think was out of pocket during the uh, draft broadcast was Kendrick Perkins with some of these Shocker. comps. Uh, man, dude, I think he said that... I, I think he said Chet was like... It was either Jabari or Chet that he compared to like Giannis and KD or something. And I was like, hey, yo, Kendrick, what, my brother? Like, whew. yeah, that was out of pocket. I, yeah, Kendrick really is the big perk is the worst. Um, so, I, you know, I, 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 I'm not there yet. But when you talk about guys that can shoot with this kind of size, no, I'm not going to compare somebody to KD, but Jabari is skilled, man. And so, like I said, like, I th just think this is one of the best top threes that we have had in a minute. I don't know if it's better than last year's because last year's top four, you know, was it was crazy. But I still think this top three is great. And. Houston is a very far way away. You know what I mean? They have got a lot to do, but with two scoring building blocks like this, all potentially in the future, all you need are wing defenders and a really good post defender and a guy to set the table. And so when you can set your team up like that, again, Jabari and Jalen Green, I, this is not hyperbolic, are two potential 25-point-per-game scorers in this league. And when, you, and when you can put two scoring talents like this together, again, you don't need a whole lot moving forward. Like you said, I think Jabari has some things he needs to clean up outside of the pull-up jump shooting and that I think he does need to tighten his handle. His handle is not great, but he's a great defender on the other side of the ball too. He can defend all five positions with his size, with his mobility, with his hustle and grit. And he's going to be a great shooter on the other end. So, again, I think it's a great pick. Um, I probably would have liked Paolo or Chet more if I was Houston. Again, I just like those guys better as prospects. But he's a great scorer. 
and I think that's going to translate immediately. So Houston is probably going to be in the gutter probably next season. I don't see them winning a whole lot of games in a really tough West, but you're not far off if both of these guys pop. Again, you need a table setter, and you need guys who can defend. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe maybe four to five years we're talking about the Houston Rockets as a genuine contender. Um, yes, I mean, it's a good pick. Uh, and I don't think the Rockets are far off if both of these guys pop. But I do have more questions about Jabari's game than I do about Paolo or Chet's. I do too. But fundamentally, I think that you're looking at a guy who offensively, I mean, I would argue in terms of skill set, there's a lot of similarity to, like, an MPJ. Just when you look at the size, 6'10", being an unfathomably great pure shooter of the basketball. Like, I do think Jabari is that level. He was 42% from deep in college on some difficult attempts. MPJ is 42% in his NBA career on lots of difficult contested attempts off movement. Limited feel as a playmaker. You know, maybe... <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't compare anybody to MPJ because he's so bad in that respect. I think Jabari will be better than that, but Jabari has a long way to go. He doesn't feel like a guy you can run offense through now, and I'm not sure when he will be. That would take years of development. And not a guy who's going to explode athletically. Jabari's a better athlete than MPJ because he has a functional back, but it's not like he has this blistering first step and you see him you know, settle for a ton of jump shots. But MPJ... I mean, when he was healthy, was one of the most efficient 19-point-per-game scores ever. Yes, that's playing alongside Jokic and with an incredible other perimeter threat in Jamal, so he could just blend into the offense. He didn't have to try to initiate a ton, but also we saw what he did when Jamal was hurt that year down the stretch, and it was consistently up in the 20s, still very efficiently. Even if it looks difficult because he's taking crazy shots, he's that insane of a pure shooter. But then the the difference is, obviously, Jabari is going to be a damn good defender in the league. So... I can look at this and say I clearly think he's three of three in terms of these prospects, but if you're telling me I'm getting MPJ-esque impact offensively and then a damn good versatile defensive player who can lock up on the perimeter and also be a help side rim protector is a really good defensive playmaker, I don't know how you could be displeased with that. I do think Jabari's a foundational piece. I'm not super confident in him scoring 25 a game. And again, I don't think he's an offensive engine. But it's not impossible that he scores 25 a game, certainly. And I think his floor is 15 to 18 a game on 40% from deep with yeah, damn good defense. Big time. And that's a damn good NBA player. And although I may think that's more likely than him being a top 10 guy in the league, you know, one of the next true great wing scorers, you'll take an efficient, sharpshooting 15 to 18 point per game scorer who's playing great defense, even with the number three overall pick, because that's just a damn good, impactful NBA player. And we know how important wing defense and floor spacing is in today's NBA. It's kind of everything. So I don't think you could possibly criticize this pick. If he had gone one, I would have. But at three, I think it's kind of a no-brainer. Like, I don't know that there's another guy who I would say is in the same class as a prospect. I know you disagree because you love Jaden Ivey, but I think that Jabari's a damn good prospect and had to go in the top three. Are you ready to talk about the Sacramento so, Kings, Logan, or do you want to say more about Jabari? Uh, no, I do. I have one more question. We can get to the Kings. Okay. Um, so I just want you to uh, put your foot down. Who do you think has the highest floor out of these guys? Who is the safest? Do you think it's Chet? Chet. Okay. Yeah. I I think it's prop. I would probably go with Paolo, honestly. Interesting. Um, 
like, don't get me wrong, I think Chet's got the highest ceiling out of anybody with his defensive potential, but I just think Paolo is, he's so well-rounded that I just cannot see him, I can't see him fail. I, I, yeah. I Genuinely, and maybe this age is like spoiled milk if one of these guys busts, but I cannot see any of these guys like completely flopping in the NBA. It's really hard to see that, and that's how I felt about the top three guys in last class, too. I mean, I thought that they were better. Uh, I was raving about all three of them in a way that I've really only raved about Chet this year, although Paolo is firmly up in that tier as well. Actually, I wonder, how would you have drafted those top six? Like, if they were the <laughs> same a, class, a great not question. seen last rookie year. Like, just looking at how you thought of them as prospects, what do you think your order would be? A great question. Um, number one, I'm taking... Mobley probably. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, I'm probably taking Cade. Mm-hmm. <sighs> number three, man, I might go. Number three, I think I'd go Chet. Number four, I'd go Jalen Green. Number five, well, no, I can't say that because I had Suggs over Green pre-draft, but after watching rookie year, I'd definitely take Jalen Green, so I can't say that. With hindsight, I'm going Green four. Mm-hmm. Um Five, then I'm probably going uh, Paolo, then Jabari. What about you? It's an insane group, dude. I mean... It really is. Sheesh. I think Chet and Mobley are neck and neck for me. I know I made a TikTok where I said I thought Chet was even better. I do think Mobley has more offensive potential just in terms of being an actual post-hub and what he can do as a scorer down there, and obviously he has really impressive passing too. They're neck and neck. I think I would go Mobley, and then Chet, Cade, then Paolo and Jalen Green are very close to me. I think that Paolo has more of that playmaking feel. He has more defensive upside because of his size and length. At the same time, I said Jalen Green was the best scoring prospect who I had competently evaluated and like at least since B.I. I mean, his blend of shot-making, shot-creation, athleticism was just unthinkable. It's very close. I think I'm going to go Paolo, then Jalen Green, and then Jabari. But like all those guys, dude, just home runs. But you, Logan, have never been one to play by the rules. You had Jalen Suggs as one of your top three guys last year, and you had Jaden Ivey as your number two guy this year. And so it's interesting. All right, let's talk about the Kings. Because they did not take Jaden Ivey, did they, Logan? Who did they take, and how do you feel about it? We took Keegan Murray. Um, yeah, you know, I said I, I said in our pre-draft pod that it would be almost kind of redundant to take a guy like Ivey um, because we gave up on Halliburton. But we do have some bonus here, so the guard spot is open. With this selection, uh, I would presume we are going to start Davion. I love Davion Mitchell. I love how hard that boy works. He's going to be great. I have no doubt about it in my mind. So, by us passing on Ivy, we are banking on De'Aaron Fox and Davion Mitchell and Sabonis being our group of the future. And, you know, I, I don't hate that because I see a path to the playoffs with this core. As for Keegan Murray, I got a text from a uh, unnamed friend of the show and he said, uh, massive dub by the Kings. And I said, no. Um, my first text to you, Carson, I'll let the fans in. I, I didn't mean this. I obviously said this facetiously. But I said, I am going to kill myself <laughs> because I wanted Jaden Ivey. Um, just because I, he was. He was my number two prospect on the board. And at the end of the day, I always want to go with best prospect available. Um, 
uh, unnamed friend of the show said massive dub by the Kings, and he said he's a great scorer. I think he's like better Harrison Barnes on a cheaper contract. And my response was, why the fuck would I want Harrison Barnes? I already have Harrison Barnes. Um, and Harrison Barnes is pretty mediocre. Look, I want to get this out first. I don't think Keegan Murray is a horrible pick. I actually really liked Keegan Murray in the pre-draft prospect, uh, process. I just think Keegan Murray, at the end of the day, is a damn good role player. And at the end of the day, I don't want a damn good role player. I want a star. And I think Jaden Ivey has star written all over him. I think the Detroit Pistons hit an absolute home run in this draft with their picks. Stealing Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duran. that's scary. Um... So, yeah, I mean, I was disappointed. I was very disappointed. Keegan's going to be a good role player. He's going to be a guy that gives me, you know, somewhere between, at his best, probably 12 to 15 a night with, you know, seven or eight rebounds and great defense. He's a great cutter. He's a good shooter. He's a good, well-rounded scorer of the basketball in the low block. He's a hustle guy, too, on tape, man. One of the things I love the most about Keegan Murray uh, was that he always crashed the boards. When a shot went up, Keegan Murray was going to the glass every fucking possession. Uh, Keegan is a hustle guy, and I'm going to love that because I think Keegan and Davion are going to bring back a really good defensive mentality to this team. But when you come to the opportunity cost of passing on Jaden Ivey, again, I think Jaden Ivey is a star. Um, and again, so maybe initially, um, fit-wise, Keegan is better because... Uh, guard minutes are hard to come by, and that's why we traded Halliburton, because it's hard having three really good guards on your roster and giving them all ample playing time and giving them all you know, touches with the ball in their hands. So fit-wise, this is probably the right pick for right now, and I think Keegan Murray is going to be a damn good player in the NBA. I think he's a dog, but I think Jaden Ivey is a star, and we have seen this in years past. Trust me, the second that we took Keegan Murray... SB Nation posted this. You think about all the stars that uh, Sacramento was passed on, taking Jimmer Fredette over Clay Thompson, taking uh, who uh, we took Jason Thompson over uh, somebody else. We took uh, Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic. That's the worst draft pick in NBA history. You can't convince me otherwise. And now we've taken Keegan Murray over Jaden Ivey. So I just don't want it to be a. I don't want it to be another story of the Kings missing out on a star player, um, but I think that's how it's going to end up. So we'll see. Uh, but I really like Jaden Ivey. Um, Can I try to convince you otherwise just because Sam yeah. Bowie went before Michael Jordan? <laughs> I mean, that's what my dad said. I said that I thought it was the worst pick since that. My uh, my dad immediately came with the Sam Bowie line. But uh, go ahead. I mean, do you do you think it's really that bad of a pick? I would not be throwing out claims about my own life if I were a Kings fan. I don't think it's that bad. I understand your frustration because you love Jaden Ivey. I do think Jaden Ivey is the best guard in this class. I think he has a higher offensive ceiling. I think there's a different level of impact he can have than Keegan Murray, and that's kind of my lone issue with Keegan Murray is I think he's going to be a damn good NBA player. I really like him as a prospect. He is uniquely skilled as a scorer of the basketball. I mean, he can kill you from everywhere. He was 23 and a half a game, 62% from two, 40% from three, 75% from the line in college. Like you said, grinds on the glass on both ends. I mean, is fluid for his size. He's 6'8", but he doesn't just play like a straight-up wing. Like, you know, he can attack guys out of the post, and 
At the same time, he's comfortable enough putting the ball on the floor. He attacks closeouts. He can create his own shot from the perimeter. He's got step backs. Like, he's just a bucket, dude. And I think he's going to get buckets anywhere. The thing is, I think there's a bit of a ceiling on him for a few reasons. He will be 22 when the NBA season starts. So, obviously, he's got a couple years on everybody. He's not an overwhelming athlete, and I think you see that, which kind of limits quite how great he can be as a scorer. And I don't see him being like a a playmaking force at any time. So what I think you're getting is a guy who's really a damn good scoring four and a guy who's a damn good defender and, I mean, can guard multiple positions and is a playmaker and tries hard on that end and has solid length. I mean, good rebounder. So I don't think you can complain about that. The thing is, yeah, if you're looking for a true star ceiling, I think what Jay Nivey can do from the perimeter, given his blend of potential perimeter shot creation and shot making, if he's consistent from deep and his ability to get into the paint consistently, and then the playmaking that can inherently kind of feed off of that, I just think there's a higher ceiling there. But Keegan Murray's really good. It's just, I don't know, if I were the Sacramento Kings, I wouldn't be passing up on the best player available. It doesn't matter to me if it's a guard. I just think you go out there and get the best guy. I would have had Shaden Sharp higher than Keegan Murray too. So it's a fine pick. I'm not going to sit here and crucify it, but it's not great. It's not what I would have done. Yeah, and I think there is another debate for a guy like Shaden Sharp, uh, especially because... I think four was the biggest uh, need for the Kings, but, you know, you move HB down to the four, you start shading Sharp at the three, and you have a starting five of Foxy, Davion, Sharp, Harrison Barnes, and Sabonis. Like, I don't think Shaden helps your defense out that much, but I think Shaden is a 20-point-per-game scorer in this. uh, What? Well, I mean, Shaden, pretty damn good defender at the high school level. He's a freak athlete. we just don't yeah, know. No, no. I mean, I don't I don't think that he it's not like he can't be a great defender. I just think immediately yeah, Keegan sure. helps defense uh is more impactful immediately. But I think Shaden's a twenty point per game scorer in this league, you know, uh pretty soon. So yeah, again, I just think Shaden and Jaden Ivy, <laughs> Shaden and Jaden, I think both of those guys just have, like you said, man, more reasonable, easier paths to stardom. And being a star means you are essentially a better asset, right? And better assets lead to better future assets. Um, and see, so yeah, man, I just I think they were better assets on board. Keegan is Keegan's going to be a great role player, and you can't put value on that. But get, our friend of the show, Gabe Swartz, asked a good question, right, Carson? Mm-hmm. In our group chat, when do you in the draft stop? looking for stars and start looking for good role players. And the Kings decided to do that at four. Like where in the draft do you Carson start looking for really impactful role players versus guys who can be genuine stars? Not number four. And I don't know that I would classify Marie as a role. I mean, I think he'll be a 15 to 20 point per game scorer. Who's a good two way player. I think he'll do it efficiently. I think he'll be versatile. You know, you I know, think he, you know what I mean though, right? Like I think he's easily, I, I think he's a starter, but I, I think he's a damn you know, good a, starter. Yeah. But, yeah, I think that for the most part in the top five, you're trying to hit dingers. And, 
<laughs> That's just kind of the fundamental philosophy, I would say. You're not going to have, obviously, five for five stars ever. I mean, last year is honestly the closest that we're going to see where the top four guys were all that impressive as rookies. That class, man, is going to go down as, like, I think really could be an all-timer in terms of the top of the class. But in a spot like this, yes, I would have gone for the guy who I think has the higher ceiling as that perimeter initiator dictating offense. But again, you know, it's like a couple of picks later, I would have said, yeah, Keegan's probably the best guy on the board. So you can't crucify it. But I do believe in the big swings just because nothing is certain, you know, like every floor that you think you know about, you don't actually know about. Nothing is certain once guys are making that jump to the league. So you want to talk about Jaden Ivey going to Detroit at five? Do you feel ready? Hey, of course. Um Immediately after the draft, I talked to my dad. Um, Jimmy says that Jaden Ivey is uh, his pick for Rookie of the Year. I think that's a little ambitious just considering how much Cade Cunningham is going to have the ball in his hands. Mm-hmm. But that is where lies the beauty of this pick for Jaden Ivey. You can look at this in two ways. You can look at this as Jaden Ivey is a guy who needs to develop his playmaking chops and needs to develop as a better ball handler um, and just as a better... It just it needs to be a, a smarter player, right? Because um, Jaden tries to do too much at times. And so you can look at this as Jaden should have gone to a place that needs a number one ball handler and he needs to struggle immediately to become you know, a lead ball handler and a better player. I look at this as Jaden is not a great playmaker and ball handler. I don't mean ball handler, but you know what I mean, as a actual decision maker. Um, Jaden cannot be your lead guy immediately. And that is why I liked him going to Sacramento because Fox can take over and he can play off ball like he did at Purdue. Here in Detroit, I think it's beautiful because in in college, Jaden was a guy who could be that secondary ball handler and creator, but was more of a fill-it-up scorer. And that's exactly what he can step in here and do in Detroit. I mean, off ball, like, if Cade's tired, you give him some run. Uh, He's a good cutter. Cade can find him off there as a lob threat. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think we're going to see what his three-point shot looks like because it was damn inconsistent at college. Um, and I think that's a, a really big ter- determinant of if, you know, he's a guy that really needs the ball in his hands because if he's not a good shooter, then all of his value is going to be as a ball handler and getting downhill. But I think over time, with Cade leading the show, it, it can buy time for Jaden to become a better playmaker, a better ball handler. But also, with a guy like Cade, he's going to get so much attention that the floor should be open for Jaden. And I think when you look at the other pieces here, man, I really like what Detroit is building on the whole. You have two guys with genuine star potential in Cade and Jaden Ivey. I fundamentally believe that. Um, You've got a guy in Sadiq Bey who is the perfect glue, 3 and D guy. You can play him at the 3. You can play him at the 4. They've moved off Jeremy Grant now, which has opened up another $20 million in cap space. Um, they have like $50 million in cap. And I thought that by trading Jeremy Grant, I thought that uh, Detroit had kind of sunk their claim in the DeAndre Ayton sweepstakes. By getting Jalen Duran. I don't know what the hell Detroit is planning to do. Um and then you've got a guy like Isaiah Stewart already. I, I really like what they're building. They've got a solid foundation of two potential stars. You have got a solid foundation of role players here um, and a lot of fucking cap space for this offseason. I thought Detroit, maybe they're the biggest winner of this draft for me. Um, 
I thought they hit two home runs with their picks, and I thought they hit an absolute home run with Jaden Ivey. I honestly wouldn't have been mad if Detroit had taken Shaden Sharp either, because I think Shaden also has that same scoring upside, but I think Jaden can be a better playmaker at the next level, man. I mean, he is a special athlete. He is a special shot creator, and if the shot comes along, man, if he is a 35% shooter in this league from behind the arc, he's a damn good player, um, and he's got defensive upside. I know that instinctually being locked in and stuff like that, you know, Jaden needs to work on that, just IQ on the defensive end, but uh, I think Detroit took the best player available at five with the most star upside. Um, I think Detroit has maybe had the best offseason of any NBA team thus far. I think the Pistons are in a really, really good spot as a franchise. I think that if you just look at the progression of what they've built, a couple years ago I thought that they had really one of the best drafts overall because they got two extremely, extremely good role player types, like clear starter level players in Isaiah Stewart and uh, Sadiq Bey outside of the top 15. Like, that was a dinger. Obviously, Killian Hayes ended up being really disappointing. God, I did like Killian Hayes a lot in that draft. That's really disappointing. <laughs> Who didn't, bro? But it was like, okay, well, you have two like legit, like pretty clear starter pieces there. And then you go out, you get a superstar talent in Kate Cunningham. Like, to me, future all NBA guy, really uniquely gifted scoring playmaking combo. And now. I mean, you've added two more real quality pieces. I do think that the Duran and Isaiah Stewart dynamic is interesting because both those guys playing together, like, they're fives to me in the modern NBA. Stewart has flashed a little bit of that floor spacing. You know, he's got a good-looking shot, and the free throw percentage is good, and when he has shot threes, it's been solid results, but just always on very limited sample size. But, I don't know, the physical imposition there... but potential for two-way forces is interesting. And then Bay is just, we know what he can do from the wings. He's developed as a shot creator, but the three-point shooting and the two-way value is always going to be there. And yeah, I think that Jaden and Cade can totally work together. I mean, neither of them have to be completely heliocentric, certainly. I think that Jaden is a combo guard, and Cade is a lead guard, I don't know that I would classify him as a pure true point. It's so weird. Everything is in these days because obviously his size alone would have disqualified him for a lot of NBA history. But he's definitely a lead scoring playmaking guard. And Ivy has some of those traits, but also, like you said, he's underdeveloped as a playmaker and decision maker. And I think he can be lethal as a second guard, attacking primarily as a scorer, getting downhill, creating for himself in isolation and pick and roll and yeah he can certainly run the offense when Kate isn't out there too so he's the best talent on the board every team in the league I think would say yeah we'll take more perimeter creation and shot making and playmaking like you just can't lose with that I mean they're a big backcourt they're a long backcourt they're a pretty athletic backcourt so you're not looking at any two-way limitations they're just a big long overall team dude like the Pistons could be really good defensively in a couple years if they can retain a lot of these guys because they're just so unbelievably young. But, like, you know, there's a lot of likely plus defenders there 
and now two legitimate high-level creators offensively and really nice complementary pieces. I love what Detroit is building. If you're looking at the top five teams to pick in this draft, I don't think there's a question about who's in the best spot. I firmly believe it is the Detroit Pistons. What do you think? Well said. <laughs> do you think uh, Detroit over or under 30 wins next season? That's a good question. I think it'll probably depend on what level Cade gets to. I would put it right around there. Um, uh, maybe I'll optimistically take the over, but I think it's probably under. I think I'd probably pick them to win 29 or something because they're so young, dude. I mean, they are crazy young. They're going to have to be the youngest team in the league in terms of their actual rotation next year, I think. R.I.P. Killian Hayes, though. A good man. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think they should trade him? I, I probably would shop him. Trade him to who? Or, yeah, I don't Fender really Lachi know who Istanbul? wants... Istanbul? Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> trade him to the Euro League. Yeah, maybe tra trade him back to the German B League that he was playing in before he came to the league. Jeez Louise. Killian Hayes, more like Killian sucks. All right. <laughs> So we've been through the top five. Who else do you think just really knocked the draft out of the park? Like, who are some of the other winners who stand out to you, some of the picks that stand out to you? Because as much as we would love to, guys, we're not going to go through every single one of the 60 picks. Yes, I'll start off with the Wizards at 10. Uh, I really like them getting Johnny Davis. He was number six on my board, so I thought getting him that late was a steal. On the broadcast, they were talking about the Wizards getting, I don't know, their point guard of the future or something. I don't really know what they're talking about. Davis is not a true point right now, but for a team that is losing Bradley Beal, first of all, I want to say, oh my God, what organizational uh, incompetence in Washington once again to just... Guys, we've been telling you for three years. I don't know if you've listened to Nerd Sesh. We've been telling you to move Bradley Beal for yeah. anything for the next three seasons because he was going to leave in free agency. So congrats to the Wizards for getting absolutely nothing back for Beal. Um Great job uh, by another Washington sports franchise. But Davis will step in. He'll be the two-guard here. Um, Rumors-wise, the Wizards are interested in every point guard on the planet. Uh, they want Tyus Jones. They want Monte Morris. Uh, they want any point guard uh, that is mid that you can think of. Uh, the, the Wizards want him. So they're still on the search for that. I know. Davis will step in here. He'll probably be a really inefficient rookie um, starting at the two. Uh, but I like him for the future. And again, to get him at 10, I, I thought was a pretty good steal. So I, I like Johnny Davis. Um, I apologize that you have to go play for the Washington Wizards, Johnny. Probably a uh, worse place you could go. But I mean, like, what else do the Wizards have, bruh? Um, I'll answer my own question. Nothing. They've got Denny Avdija. So uh, good luck, Johnny. You're kind of the only <laughs> offensive player I like here. You've got Kuz. You've got KCP. Good luck, my friend. Uh, honestly, probably the worst place he could have gone. But uh, I think Johnny's a really good player. Yeah, you're a big Johnny guy. I think that that's a solid pick. I mean, that's appropriate value. And again, with the Wizards, it's like what really qualifies as a position of need for them. I don't know. But lead oh. guard scorer very well maybe soon if Bradley Beal decides to hit the road, which it seems like might actually be possible. I think... Portland getting Shaden Sharp at seven is a big win. That's one that stands out to me. I think he's a top five talent in this 
draft. He may have been a top four talent. It's just like tough to evaluate because we haven't seen the guy in a while. I heard that there was some interview stuff that he didn't crush. And obviously it's weird that he didn't play college basketball. And so I can't speak to that. What I can speak to is the insane raw ability that this guy has and put on display in high school. The unfathomable athleticism and shot making and two-way potential. Like if you're just talking about pure wing scoring and two-way ability, I you threw out the Zach Levine comparison. Like that's obviously a rare one. Zach Levine's a great scorer. But it's like, yeah, Shane Sharp has those traits. I mean, he has the ability to be that explosive cutter, lob threat if he wants to be. Dude gets so far above the rim, and he's a dynamic shot maker. So that's a win, I just think, in terms of talent. I also think the pick after that, Dyson Daniels to the Pelicans at 8, I really like. I mean, I think that the Pelicans are obviously a super intriguing team right now, but I feel that if they need anything to sort of ground them, it's probably more perimeter playmaking and a guy who can also get out there and give you some actual size and guard on the wings and Dyson Daniels provides all of that. Because, I mean, the scoring that you're getting from obviously B.I. and C.J. and Zion, presuming that they're all out there, and even Valanchunas, that's a lot of one-on-one scoring ability. And B.I. and C.J. and Zion are all honestly plus playmakers for their position. Like, C.J.'s a good playmaking too. B.I. is a good playmaking wing. Zion is a good playmaking Zion. But I still think that you can use more of that feel at all times. And uh, I just think if you're looking at the top 10 kind of guys, I would really say the top eight were kind of in a different tier in terms of talent to me, at least slightly. I think that Daniels is a really good pickup there. And again, the fact that he does have the size to legit play the wings and be a good defender there, I think really matters too. Yeah, I wonder what this does um, to Kyra Lewis Jr. He's coming off a torn ACL. Um, and, you know, they were hoping he was going to be a guard of the future. I know you really liked uh, Kyra. I, I, I just kind of wonder what it does, with, you know, another guy who needs the ball in his hands, what it's going to do. Um, just to him in the rotation, if they're going to shop him, if they're going to keep him running with the bench unit. Um, but no, I like Dyson a lot. I think you're exactly right. Um, you know, need another table setter and Dyson is well-rounded, man. I, I love a guy with a nice floater game. So I love the pickup. I'm going to take this in a negative direction. Mm. A team that I think is completely lost, um, and has no idea what they are doing in the draft every single year has to be the San Antonio Spurs, right? And, like, I hate... I thought you were going to say I, that. I hate to do this. I did not like Jeremy Sohan out of, out of Baylor, one of my yeah. least favorite uh, top prospects. Um, he is super raw. There's not a lot that I like about his game. I, you know, I, I don't really think he's got a good handle. I don't think he's got a great touch. I don't think he's a great shooter. I think he's a big guy. I, I think he's a big guy. Um, that's a bad... Like, well... He's a good athlete. He should certainly be a versatile plus defender. And he's kind of got little twinkles of various things. But I agree with you. He's one of my least favorite guys in the lottery range. I I didn't like that pick. Um, I I just, I don't know, man. San Antonio is obviously going into a full rebuild. They traded Thaddeus Young for a first. They traded Derek White for a first. And so... This is the direction that they've chose to go in, to just build through the draft and take guys. But they took Malachi Branham at 20. 
I don't like Branham. I know he's 18. Uh, you know, I know he's really young. He has a lot of upside. I, I don't really think there's a lot of NBA things in his game that I like right now. They take Blake Wesley, who I also think is raw. Like, I don't know, man. At that spot, at number nine, I would have taken Dang, just because I think Dang has the most star upside. Mm out of anybody left. Or I would have taken Jalen Duran or Mark Williams, and maybe you think that's high for those guys at nine. I just think all of those guys are more sure things or have more star upside than than Sohan. Like, Williams and Duran are guys that I think could maybe anchor defenses one day. Dang is a guy that I think could be mm-hmm. a star in the NBA one day. And you take Sohan, who I think, again, maybe this will age like spoiled milk, I think Solon could easily be a bust. I just don't see a lot of NBA stuff with him. So I, I don't. I really do not know what the San Antonio Spurs are doing. Um, I like Josh Primo. Uh, I like DeJounte Murray, who apparently the Spurs are shopping. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks are really interested in acquiring DeJounte Murray. I've heard rumors of a Murray for John Collins type deal. Um, so we'll see how that ends up. But I, I was just disappointed by the Spurs selections once again. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to just eviscerate Sohan because, I mean, for his size, he is like kind of a uniquely fluid athlete and he's got good feel. He's a good passer. And I do think he'll be a very good defender. But I agree. I mean, in the top 10, there's a lot of offensive skill to go around. But also after the top eight, it does drop off, right? Because Jang, as impressive as he is in the good moments, you know, shot 21% from deep and scored seven a game when we saw him play basketball most recently. And then it's like everybody beyond that, I don't know. Like, I know that you really like Johnny Davis. I love the floor of a guy like Ochai Agbaji, but uh, there is definitely a drop-off, I think, after that top eight. But still, I agree. I don't love Sohan. I think he's he's going to be weird offensively at the next level. Maybe he'll be versatile and impactful there. We'll see. I... I'm interested very much in your thoughts on the Warriors taking Patrick Baldwin Jr. at number 28. I don't know if you have strong thoughts. I think it's a really interesting pick, and obviously it's the reigning champs. Do you have thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I like Patrick Baldwin, especially um, like off the bat. I mean, he's going to be 20 basically when the season starts. Um you know, I, I don't really know what Patrick brings offensively. I don't think he's a great shooter. Um, he shot 26% from deep on not a lot of volume. But, you know, I, I think he's a— Shot looks good, though. Yeah, and I think he's I think he's a good defender off rip, and I think that's kind of the, uh, the appeal. I, and, I mean, he's got a big—he's got a big role to fill initially, right? Because I think—I mean, Golden State really needs— uh, these picks to hit with the free agency of um, of Iggy, of Looney, of GP. You know, I mean, these guys are – Patrick Baldwin's probably going to get minutes, and you know, maybe not a ton, but 10 to 12 a night um, behind guys like Moody, Wiseman, Kaminga because they're probably going to lose a few of those free agents. Likely, I can see them bringing back Iggy on a minimum and then Looney or Peyton, but they're going to lose one of those guys. You need to replace – oh, and Otto Porter Jr., excuse me. So, I mean – He's going to need wing minutes. Um, he's going to play. 
I don't think it's a home run, but I think Patrick Baldwin was one of more one of the more serviceable guys uh, that they could have gotten at that point of the draft. I probably would have liked Jovic a little more uh, if he hadn't gone twenty seventh to the Heat. Mm-hmm. And pure cool. prospects, I a hundred percent I liked Ty Ty Washington more. Not like that's a position of need for the Warriors. Um, I like Kennedy Chandler more. Again, not a position of need for the Warriors. And I liked Coloco more, but again. Uh, if they bring back Looney, not really a position of need for the dub. So you go out and get – I think at this point in the draft, I think that Patrick Baldwin was probably the best wing available. He's raw, but I think it's promising. Um, he's a young guy, so we'll see how they develop him. But uh, he should be at least a plus defender off rip, which, again, I think he was the best wing that they could have taken. Uh, as a Dubs fan, uh, are you satisfied with the selection, Carson? It's interesting. And particularly given that the Warriors are continuing to try to kind of bridge this cross-generational thing where obviously they're winning now, but a lot of their core high-value guys are super young, like have been drafted in the last two years. Because you could go out and take a guy like Coloco, right, who I think is guaranteed to be serviceable, rotation-level, two-way big, you know, Perfectly fine guy to take at the end of the first round, especially if you can't retain Looney because you need another rotational true big. I think he's a good athlete, right? He's great instincts as a shot blocker, uh, some good touch offensively. I like Coloco. I think he's really good. But there's a very clear ceiling to what he can be, I think. Patrick Baldwin Jr. is an ex-top eight prospect in his class, if you're talking about high school who is going to uh, a team that has one of the more impressive, certainly, player development resumes, but is also trying to win a title right now. And Patrick Baldwin Jr. is also a guy who uh, shot 34% from the field at Milwaukee in the 11 games that we saw from him. So it's really interesting because, I mean, you have this 6-9 wing who... I mean, is a ball handler first and foremost, right? And has the instincts to go out there and get himself buckets and try to facilitate offense. And you see shades of all kinds of advanced shot creation. And uh, it's a tantalizing concept. It really is. But then you just think, wow, he is so far from putting it all together. So very far. When you talk about getting 11 games of experience at that level and not producing very effectively in those minutes, But the best moments with him are like, oh, that would 100% be a lottery guy. So it's interesting. I mean, I don't know that he's going to play, honestly, but I don't think that they'll need him to because Moody and Kaminga are going to become such more firm fixtures of the rotation, I would think, just given some of the expected departures and their development. But it's interesting. Like, I'm not out on it. The Warriors, I think, have earned faith as an organization, although they haven't always killed the very back of the draft. You think about... Jacob Evans, Looney didn't seem like a great pick for a while. I think you would say now that he has developed into a good one. Damian Jones. Who else did they take at the end of the first round? Damian Jones, yeah, that was a bad one. So it's not like they've always crushed it in this spot, but he's certainly one of the highest upside guys in this range. Yeah, definitely. Anything else stand out to you, Logan? Any other picks, any other teams that you want to shout out? Yeah, I'll shout out um, a few... or one second-round pick at least. Uh, I liked Isaiah Mobley to the Cavs just because, again, him and Evan have played for a while together, played at USC. I just like the – I don't know, man, that's cool. Just the synergy, the bringing brothers back together. I think that's a dope pick. Um, 
And Mobley's good, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Good defender, 49. too. 49. I loved that pick um, at the back end of the second round. Uh, I really liked I really liked the Kings drafting Jaden Hardy, and then we turned around and traded him to Dallas for two second-round picks. I was like, sweet, Kings pick that I like, mm-hmm. and then they moved him immediately. Um, the last guy that I'll bring up that I think is an actual, like, uh, just a really good value pick, and that was Christian Brown at 21 for the Nuggets. Um, just in terms of what the Nuggets do, it's just easier for the Nuggets when they're picking guys, right? Because you have a guy like Nikola Jokic where it's so easy for role players to step in and do their job and play off of him. I think Brown's a perfect rotation piece to bring into the table right now. He's a really good off-ball defender, really good you know, on-ball defender. Like He's going to stay engaged on that end. He's a good shooter, shot 38% off the catch, and he's a decent ball handler and a decent playmaker and passer. So, I mean, like, just in terms of a, another Swiss Army knife that the Nuggets can use, and again, I, I, it, I it's easy just because I, I get to imagine Brown playing off of Jokic. Where yeah. You're getting screens where Jokic is commanding attention and making plays for him. So a lot of guys that the Nuggets could have taken would probably be a good pick. But when you get a, a versatile pick-and-roll ball handler who's a good defender and a solid shooter, I just don't I just don't think you could go wrong with a guy like Christian Brown alongside Jokic. So that was one of my favorite um, non-lottery first-round picks. Yeah, it's interesting that you start off by saying a good value pick because I do think 21 is definitely higher than the consensus would have had him. But... When we're in this range, I do think for the most part, like this is where, yeah, I'm drafting for players who I have a high confidence level in being good role players. Christian Brown, I firmly believe, is going to be a good role player. I mean, he plays hard. He's smart. He's a hell of a shooter. He's a good athlete. And I just think you put those kind of guys around Nikola Jokic and they tend to thrive. So I don't know that you could consider it like a home run, but I don't really know if you're looking at wings who I would have much preferred in this range like I do think that I was higher on him than the consensus and I certainly thought he was a first round kind of guy not everybody agreed on that so I think that that's a good pick as well you mentioned Jovic at 27 to the heat I would have loved to see him on the Warriors oh my god just like that kind of feel and shooting in Golden State is just ideal Hornets got their center in Mark Williams I think that's a good pickup I like the Cavs getting another wing who I just really believe in in Ochai I mean he's Definitely, you know, one of my favorite back end of the lottery guys. So I feel like we've pretty much covered it. I feel like we've talked about most of what stood out to me. Do you agree? Yeah, I think we've covered most of it. And then shout out. I just like Ty Ty. I think uh, Houston, again, just a. You love Ty Ty. I do love Ty Ty. Houston's a weird spot just with how much young talent they have. I believe off the top of my head. Um, <clears throat> Houston now, after drafting uh, Tari Eason and Ty Ty, I, I think the Rockets have like 20 guys <laughs> under contract. Um, so they're going to have to make wow. some moves and clear up some rotation space. Um, but I, I think Ty Ty is going to be a really good bench point guard off rip. And it's kind of a position of need for Houston because they don't have that. So I really like that pick too, man. Um, I'm a big Ty Ty guy. I think he's better quickly. Quickly is my favorite player in the NBA. Who knows? Maybe Ty Ty Washington becomes my favorite player in the NBA. Jesus. You need to maybe seek counsel, man. Oh, 100. You're a Kings fan who's considering becoming a Magic fan, and Emmanuel Quickly is your favorite player in the NBA with Ty Ty Washington fast approaching. You know, no one's... That's a weird resume, man. You know, no one's ever really said it to me like that, Carson, but 
I think I'm going to go get a therapist right now. Yeah, I tell it how it is, man. <laughs> All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for us here today. It's been a pleasure as always. The NBA offseason does not stop. We'll be back with free agency preview content in a matter of days. But as always, we've got plenty of content coming in, baby. Daily content. There's two best places for you to find that. TikTok, at NerdSesh, of course, where we crank out lots of trivia stuff. Some takes, mostly trivia. And then... As we shouted out on a few of our most recent podcasts, SoBet, which is a really cool service that we've partnered with. It's a subscription setup, but right now if you go to our TikTok link in bio and click on that referral link and then put in the code FREENERDS, you can get a free month of the service if you are among the first 20 people to go ahead and do that. And... Then you can get a little sneak peek at the kind of content that we're making. It's lots of exclusive betting content, tips, analysis, not all betting necessarily from us, but a lot of betting stuff. And we both did very well throughout the NBA finals with our picks. And obviously now we're shifting into NBA and NFL offseason stuff. And it's not just us. You got lots of other cool little influencers on there as well. Lots of bright minds. And it all comes to you a nice little neatly packaged feed. So you can go ahead and scroll through that when you're having your morning cup of joe. So again, you can get that for a month for free. That is with promo code FREENERDS. Check out the link in bio on our TikTok. And then as always, listen to the pod wherever. Uh, check us out on social media. Twitter is at nerd underscore sesh. Instagram is at nerd sesh. I just saw a wild Theo Ash NFL, which was really exciting. So now I'm going to go say hi to him. And with that, as always, I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Josh. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.